Yeah, so this is jam.systems. It's an open source audio chat room that's Clubhouse style, but is being built for the web, so you can open it on Android or iPhone or on the desktop, which is what's really nice. And it's still pretty early, but they've built this kind of simple already hosted for you version, but they also have all their open source stuff up at jam.systems. And yeah, if you want to come on stage and ask me something in audio, if you want to try this out, I'll try to to keep paying attention here and bring you up on stage if you want to come on stage. One thing maybe I can start with is how do you get traction? How do you grow? How do you uh, market uh, Bootstrap SaaS now in 2021? For a long time, the platforms, Google Search, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, gave tons and tons of organic reach, and now they are taking, they're, they're limiting, they're locking things down. And uh, that definitely makes uh, marketing for bootstrap startups, bootstrap SaaS, a lot more difficult than it used to be. And so... There's a few things that have worked for Transistor that I could talk about, but this is also going to depend on depend on your company. So, the by far the thing that's working for Transistor the best is the is SEO, so search engine optimization, writing useful content, indexing for that content, and yeah, and people finding like searching how do I start a podcast, podcast hosting. And we're in a nice category because there's just a lot of inherent demand. People are just searching for those keywords kind of all the time. And so we've been able to, you know, go after those and and have a reasonable amount of success for some, you know, some pretty high traffic keywords, at least in our space. Another thing that I think goes along with SEO for us is affiliates. So having people with high ranking, high authority sites on the internet that they've been working on forever, they've been writing guides on podcasting, they've been writing you know, articles, how-to videos, partnering with those people and giving them a pretty substantial share of our revenue has been really helpful. They, they, we give about 25% ongoing of whatever revenue they bring to us. And that partnership has been a big growth driver for us. We have we regularly write uh, seven thousand dollar checks for for those affiliates. Hey, Riley. Oh, hey, yeah. How did you find the affiliates that you've that you have? You said you're writing seven thousand dollar checks for affiliates. That's that's amazing. Like you're talking about our at Hostify, our top channels are SEO and affiliates, and our top affiliate is a thousand dollars a month. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so that's awesome. I'd just like to hear more about you know how you yeah. found those people and. And that stuff. I mean, it'll be it'll really depend on your category because in podcast podcasting is like very much like website hosting. So a lot of the things that happened in website hosting uh, are just happening now in podcast hosting, and so we 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 could see some of this already. So the same kinds of folks that were doing well, you know, as affiliates for website hosting companies, they're doing very well for podcast hosting companies. The same kind of people that would do well, you know, maybe with a convert kit as a convert kit affiliate are doing quite well for us as well. We found, they actually found us. So we, I was on 
Matt Giovannici's podcast, Money Lab, and I think three or four of our top affiliates found us through that. So I guess the answer would be podcast outreach, but <laughs> the truth is like it was literally <laughs> Matt's podcast that, that brought us three or four. And I think we have 600 affiliates. I'll, I'll check in a second here, but we have quite a few. Wow. Really reached out to you though. You weren't uh, looking for like who could be a good person that we could, you know, did you do that, you know, targeting people to be affiliates for you or was it like mostly inbound? Yeah, it's all inbound. We have a, we have a, a public signup page. That's cool. I think it's just transition. Um, that's that's one of the benefits of being in like a larger market where like everybody needs a podcast, but like I'm in a really small market. So as far as influencers or people who I could have as affiliates, there's literally like, a, I could count on like one hand, the number of people that are known for talking about ubiquity stuff. You know what I mean? So mm. I was lucky to get one of them and it's worked out really well, but I've made my program invite only. So it's a little different. Yeah. Yeah. I think actually, so why did you make it invite only? What was the reason for that? Well, actually it originally was anyone could sign up and we were encouraging our customers to sign up and we just got like really low quality affiliates. So they were like spamming our, our link on like whenever someone would, you know, this is kind of good, like kind of good, but kind of bad. Like whenever someone would mention Unify or something, we'd have a bunch of people spamming their links and then it just mm. looked like, it brand, you know? Yeah. 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 So yeah, I'd, I'd say... It, it, yeah, it probably depends on your category. Although in your space, it feels like there's got to be a bunch of installers going around that that would be good or something, you know, like well, people that are already incentivized. Word, yeah. Like word of mouth is huge, you know, so installers, no other installers, they talk about us. And in the beginning, I was giving out like manually giving out like $15 Amazon gift cards or like different things like that. And then I stopped doing that because it just didn't work at scale. But yeah, word of mouth is still huge, but there's not like that one single influencer. I mean, there is, there's like a few of them, but there's not like a ton of, you know, people like, like they have big followings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. The, again, the spaces are completely different, but I think there's something in empowering people, you know, giving pe people an economic incentive to, to promote your product and the knock-on effects of affiliates in particular are just really good for SEO because they're giving you generally some pretty good backlinks. And Absolutely, yeah. And even the best affiliate yeah, program will good. generally have some leakage. So, you know, they're going to be talking about you, but not everyone is going to remember to use their affiliate link. And so we've... Yeah, aired, for sure. Yeah, we've erred on the side of being generous with ours, knowing that they're gonna, they're not going to get every person who heard about it through them. So yeah, the advantage for us has been yeah. great. The, the SEO part of it too is something I didn't even think about when I started my affiliate program, but um, that's huge having, we have like, you know, thousands of links out there now. One of our affiliates, he has a um, big YouTube channel. And so he, I don't know what he uses, what software, but he like pressed the button to update all of his YouTube video descriptions with the affiliate link. And boom, oh, yeah. we have like thousands of links, you know, and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, YouTube in particular has been interesting. So in, I use reward, Rewardful, Get Rewardful for our affiliate campaign. That's and, what I used to. Cool. So one thing, Kyle's probably going to hate the, hate me if I tell people about this, but one thing I got Kyle to do is set up a, a 0% campaign 
that I then use to track basically all of our marketing campaigns. So sometimes people say, oh, how do you know what, what, oh, an, awesome. what analytics suite are you using to, to track marketing campaigns? Like what do you have set up? What funnels do you have set up in Google Analytics? The only thing I have set up for tracking those is these get rewardful campaigns. And so I've got these links kind of everywhere. So whenever I post a YouTube video, I put the link, you know, it's like transistor.fm, yeah. whatever. Super helpful. And of everything we've tried so far, the, the YouTube links are performing the best. And so it's made me think, I kind of want to double down on reaching out to YouTubers. YouTube, YouTubers are kind of like the desperate creative class. Like there's so many good YouTubers that are, you know, have 100,000, 200,000 uh, subscribers, but they're not making any money. And I think there's a lot of them that are, you know, incentivized to, you know, want to, want to do integrations or partnerships. So I'm just starting to dip my toes into this, trying to find some folks that might want to do what's called an integration, which is where they put like a, a sponsored read in the middle of their video. You've probably seen it for Squarespace and things like that. And then even like, what would it cost to get them to do a entirely sponsored video, which again would have all these knock-on effects of, you know, it's like a video commercial that you can link to and it could potentially be posted to their channel, which has uh, a lot of subscribers. So. Yeah, that's awesome. So like my influencer, as you know, as you call it or whatever, he has 170,000 uh, subscribers on YouTube and he's done a video of a review of how our product works. And he's done several videos where he mentioned us like, you know, when he's talking about ubiquity stuff, he, you know, he gives us a plug and stuff like that. You know, we, you know, luckily we didn't like buy that or anything. It's just like he found out about our product and reached out to me. And that's actually why I started the affiliate program was because he asked me about it. So yeah, it worked out really good. Yeah. Yeah, that's perfect. That's perfect. Sometimes you can find these folks by just searching for high-ranking high terms in your niche, and then invariably you'll see their sites because a lot of these guys are really good at SEO. So yeah, there's different ways to find yeah. them or search YouTube and who's talking about it and then reach Definitely, out to Definitely, yeah. Folks. Like I said, like I already knew about him because he's really popular in this space and there's only like three people that are really popular in, in the space that I'm in. So mm -hmm. I had already, I already knew about him and then he reached out to me to do the video. And but yeah, it's been, it's been a great channel for us. Is there any other marketing channels that are really working well for you? It's really, you know, I hate saying word of mouth because it's like the thing that we don't know exactly how it works, but it's really like, I know SEO has been a, a big part of it. So just, uh, by being in a, so we're not even trying for SEO. I never really tried, but it was just because we're in such a small niche that, you know, you know, when you search for unified cloud hosting, you know, when I first started Hostify, I was like one of the only people doing it. There's like one other person. And within six months, I was on the first page of results. And so we've held that, held on to that top result, you know, from the beginning and a bunch of people have come and gone trying to copy us, but we just hold on to that top result pretty much. And without a lot of effort, like I said, I didn't try to optimize my H1 tags or write a bunch of blog posts or anything, but yeah, now just kind of naturally we're getting better at SEO. So I'm trying to learn more about it and our support articles, I'm trying to target more like air message type of SEO. So that's when mm. like someone runs yeah. an air message and then we have like the KB article on how to fix that. And it's like adjacently related to what we do. So like, I don't know how that would apply to you at all or if it would, but because they're working with these types of products, they run into a specific error message and then no one's written about that because it's some obscure error that only gets, you know, a hundred searches a month or whatever. And so those little things building up, I think it's our SEO play. Yeah, no, that's huge. We, we get a lot of that. Well, not a lot of that, but we have that experience with 
Apple Podcasts, like error messages and problems, if you can rank for some of those terms. And then if you can prove that you're helpful, sometimes that'll eventually lead to a sale, you know, making a sale later on. And word of mouth, by the way, is... I was thinking about this because I was on that Clubhouse chat the other day, yesterday, and we were talking about the big platforms. And if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see I'm ranting about this all the time. You know, and initially I was kind of feeling maybe guilty that indie makers like us have to do all this arbitrage against, you know, from like we have to do arbitrage on Google for Google search. We have to do arbitrage on Twitter to, you know, uh, try to try to scoop up audience and customers from there. And the more I think about it, the more I'm like, that it, we're actually the ones that created these platforms. Like it was our links and our content and our, you know, our social graph, us uploading our contacts. I remember being, you know, on Facebook early, early on when it was just kind of made public. And it was our, it was us uploading our address books that made those, those networks work. And so, yeah. you know, I kind of go back and forth about this, but the one thing that we really do have that's kind of always within our control is encouraging word of mouth like being like actually doing things to in our app in our onboarding in our automated messages to encourage people to share it with a friend have you done anything like that or has it just happened naturally like I said, like in the beginning, I was um, I was doing like $15 Amazon gift cards. Well, in, in the beginning, our product was $15 a month. So that's how I came up with that weird number. But now it's 49 minimum. But that's a whole nother story. But yeah, I was trying to encourage it early on. But really, I, I never encouraged it because it was just it was something that I don't know. It's just something that people really liked. And they just they told other people about it. And, it, you know, I was just lucky to have a product that it wasn't some kind of like I don't know. It is boring. It's not, I'm not saying it's exciting, but it was something about it. You know, people really just really thought it was really great. So yeah, I haven't done a lot to encourage it, honestly, but, but yeah, it's, it's been, it's word of mouth has been huge, but I think it's also been um, because of the time that I've spent in the community talking with people, you know, when someone signed up for a $15 a month subscription, I would spend, you know, sometimes I'd spend hours talking to people on the phone or meeting with them, or, you know, doing screen share. So just going over the top with support is really the way that I've gotten the word of mouth referrals. Like people can't believe that you know, someone would spend hours with them. They're just not used to that. You know, when you sign up for SaaS and they don't, you know, <laughs> you don't never, you can't contact the company, you know, yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah, that is, that's huge. That's actually a good, I forgot about that. But one way to encourage word of mouth is just to be super generous. Like if you can, if you can really take care Absolutely. of people, go over and above. And this is what Jason Cohen, he said to me, he's the founder of WP Engine. And he said, this is the whole advantage of independent bootstrap SaaS is, you're going to be able to destroy yeah. those bigger country, those yeah. bigger companies on support and taking care of people. I think a lot of people don't get that too. That I, some people that I talk to and stuff that are coming from you know a high paying job or whatever, they're like, I can't spend you know what my time's worth. I can't be spending that on a fifteen dollar month customer or whatever. But you have to really um, separate in your head your hourly time and the amount of time that you're spending with each customer, and it really pays off. It pays dividends. Yeah, yeah, that's that. You do kind of have to swallow your ego a bit. I think it's it's why, oh, yeah. it's like sometimes maybe starting a SaaS when you're younger, or just even just like, you know, if you've been used to doing consulting on your own or whatever, it because you have to have some humility. Like you have to be willing to do everything and and pitch in wherever, and and it it, it really does show. Like when when people come to Transistor, 
I'm pretty open with them to say, we're a small company. Like it's, it's John and I, we're the only full-time people. And then we've got two part-time contractors and this is what we do. Like we're just here trying to take care of people best we can. And yeah, it's, I think if you had a lot of ego, if you were used to working for SAP and making, you know, 300 grand and and being on all the sales calls and going for the steak dinners, that, that might be, (laughs) that might be an obstacle. (laughs) Yeah. It's a wake up call, right? Yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. I think word of mouth is very underrated. And I think there's a lot that I could be doing to optimize for it. One thing I used to do for my course that I think I could implement with Transistor is just an automated message or a message that's triggered once, you know, you can tell like somebody's getting value out of the product and just say, hey, we're a small company and we really kind of thrive and survive on word of mouth recommendations. And so, you know, here's like three ways you could help us. You can leave a review on Captera, you can tweet about us or if you have a friend like just think of us when you're in conversations if you if there are other people like you that you think would benefit please let them know and sometimes just prompting people to you know recommend you like you're you're giving them the idea it increases the chance that they're actually going to recommend you Absolutely. Yeah. I need to get better at that too, or kind of build it into our processes. Like when you, when you help someone and they're like over the top, like mm-hmm. happy with, you know, what you did, that's a great time to, you know, they ask you, what can I pay you for this or do something? You know, I always tell people, just leave us a review. That's the best thing you can do. Let someone know about us. And mm-hmm. but yeah, definitely I work on optimizing more for that. So like maybe kind of like, cause I don't do support anymore. I need to like kind of uh, train like a process on that where, you know, only when a customer is super happy, you know, ask them, you know, Hey, would you mind taking a few minutes to leave us a review on Facebook or something like that? Yeah. I think that can go along. Yeah. I think that's, that's a really, that's, that's one of the things about hiring people is that you have to, you have to remind your support folks like, Hey, if someone has an incredible experience, like, please let them know that they can leave us a review or if they're just like over the moon or if somebody tweets about you, like tweets about indie companies are such a gift. Like every time somebody tweets about Transistor, I'm not sure if you've had this too, Riley, but it's just such a gift to have someone say something nice about you publicly. And often when they're like, they're already in a good mood, I'll just DM them and say, hey, thanks so much. Like that is just massive. <laughs> and I'll say, you know, if you ever have a chance to just write exactly what you wrote on Captera or wherever. That's a huge help to us. We really appreciate it. Yeah, I think what what people like desperately need in the beginning and you know and and also, you know, going forward, but it's just like that social proof that like, hey, this person's legit. They actually helped me. They're not like a scammer taking your credit card on the internet or something. You know, just like the initial social proof of like, you know, a, a bunch of real people that are using your product is is huge. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's it's so, yeah, it's just such a gift. And the, and to be able to capture that stuff and reach out to people after. And yeah, it's it's been helpful. I've, I've also experimented a little bit with giving folks like, you know, like a t-shirt or swag or, you know, people that really just are super fans. I think getting on that as much as you can is like a good way to do that. And having well-designed swag. Simon Bennett from Snapshooter just had these hats made 
and uh, he knows I wear hats. Nice. Like I, I have I have hats on in a lot of my videos and stuff. And he's like, he's like, hey, can I say you're like one of the only people he said that'll probably wear this. So can I send you one? And uh, you know, I'm I'm cool. like, yeah, sure, I'll wear it. And it, it he actually got you know a nice a nice logo made, and it doesn't look like doesn't look like I'm wearing like again like SAP <laughs> like an SAP hat or anything. Yeah, so, it's cool. I yeah, there's, the yeah, there's definitely advantages to to that. By the way, anyone else who wants to come on stage and just try this out, you can just hit that emoji there, and I'll try to keep an eye out for it. There's an interesting question, and Riley, feel free you can leave whenever. But if you want to answer this, that could be cool too. Uh, I don't know how you say this guy's name. Sask Sask Villanova. He said, "How would you spend the first month if you were looking to start a new bootstrapped SaaS?" Hmm. So I think he's saying like you don't have maybe you don't have an idea yet. How would you find a new idea, or how would you? Oh, that question really depends on whether you have an idea or not. Yeah, it's you, a tough how, one. I mean, the first month would definitely be building. I would think, and not even marketing, just building. You know, it takes yeah. it took me a while. I mean, there's a lot to it. There's a lot to it. You know, but luckily I would rely on on all the no code stuff. I was doing no code before I knew what it was no code, but I did, uh, you know, my launching Hostify, it was, I couldn't figure it out. I was trying to do Django. I was trying to write SAS application in Django because I knew a little bit of Python, but I didn't know enough to create a whole login and payment system and everything. And so I ended up using WordPress to get through some of that stuff. Oh, sweet. So you like, you built it, you built it no code first. That's great. Good. And hi, Riley as well. Uh, with that point, one of the questions that I have, and Justin, I've, I've DM'd you on Twitter. We're, we're building something, and the, the biggest problem that I have is knowing when to stop building. We get to that point where we're testing with customers, and the customers are all large or certainly medium businesses, so 100 employees plus. How okay. do you know when to stop building? Oh, man. That's a good question. I mean... For us, we had, again, it was nice because we had an existing category. What's, can you remind me, what's the product and the category? So we sit in a strange space of dealing with pre-recorded videos to pre-recorded webinars. We transcribe them and turn them into other sorts of content. Yeah. Do you have people paying right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. What are the people who are paying saying? Are, are they the ones that are kind of asking for more? Yes. Yeah, so, so, they, so, so, I mean, the typical thing is we allow people to just select text and create a clip and that might give them a 30 second clip they can put on social. They then say, okay, it'd be really cool if we could mm. also put in the ability to fade between different clips. So if you're building a highlight reel that's maybe 10 minutes long, they might want to fade between sections or put in interstitial screens. That's a really cool idea. But do I build that for two customers? I will clarify, like our, our, we're bootstrap, but our customers are paying in the hundreds of dollars rather than tens of dollars. So it does kind of make it worth it. Mm -hmm. but, yeah. but there has to be a balance because... <laughs> yeah, I think this is like one of the hardest questions as a founder and one of the most important ones is like figuring out the minimum amount of features that they're going to not cancel over. And then, you know, it sounds, it sounds kind of shitty, but there's so much stuff you have to say no to and figuring out you know, what's something that's going to make them kind of unhappy, but excited for the future of the product versus what's something they're going to have to cancel because it's just not going to work. And then just doing the things that, that they're not going to cancel. That's something that I've had to do. There's features today that, you know, they've been on our to-do list since the day one, and we're not going to get to them anytime soon. 
and and we still get asked on a daily or weekly basis about it so but that's one of the hardest questions and we're not going to be able to tell you like you know of course you know that we're not going to be able to tell you as people that don't intimately know your business like these are the features that you need to build and these are the ones you shouldn't build, but but that's kind of what my thoughts are on it. It's a tough one, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean the the nice thing, I, I I get in trouble for this, but I'm going to say it anyway, is that I think for bootstrappers, you need to have a main stream that's just flowing that has momentum. And what I mean by that is like the central kind of pole of your category or your product has to be there so that you can give people eighty percent of what they want. And there's going to be this 20% that is just like, everybody's got a different idea about what that is. And so, and it's difficult, like in in podcasting, dynamic ad insertion is like this. It's like a lot of people want, think they want dynamic ad insertion. And the way John and I have navigated that is we're just like looking at the river we're on, the way the stream is flowing. And we're like, you know what? The central kind of energy of this stream the central energy of this category isn't people who need dynamic ad insertion. It's relatively small accounts starting podcasts either for fun or as a prosumer play or as a side hustle or for their business. But even the big businesses who you know are getting into podcasting, we're still talking about relatively you know small amounts of money. Like we have massive customers that are still paying us like not huge amounts of money, and so the. that's how I kind of think about it. It's like, what, where's the central momentum in this river that we're navigating our canoe down here? And okay, yeah, sure. We could, you know, explore over here or explore over here, but the main kind of thrust of the category, these are the bounds. And what, what I think you got to be careful of is you want enough energy and momentum and demand in that central 80% so that you can just, you can go on that. But there are some products and some categories that are, there's not as much energy, there's not as much pull. And those are the categories, in my experience, that you'll find people are just all over the map. There is no 80% that will satisfy most people. They, everybody wants something different. Everybody wants a little bit. And that's where you get yourself into trouble. You want to, I think, avoid products and categories like that you want to get something where the main thing, the main draw is like, I can sell a vanilla cone here a thousand times a day. And yeah, sure. Sorry. We don't have snow cones or bubble tea or whatever the side thing is. It's like, what's the main thing that 80% of the people want and focus on that? Yeah. I think that's a really strong way of putting it. I think that what one of the balances when you're asking your customers for more in terms of you it might be dealing with a larger larger business you still have to understand that just because they're paying you more than a single individual would you don't have to bend over and change your entire product and if you do change it for every customer then you're a service business and they'll, they'll destroy your business if you if you uh if you do make exceptions for every customer so with with my business even if something would be well, I could just change it for this one customer. I always stop myself and I don't do it because it's going to come back and bite me later. And I've learned that from experience. Like when I make a special exception for one customer, it always finds a way to screw us up later when we push out an update and it, we forgot about that one customer. And and that's a tough one. It has to be a product if you're building a product business. Mm-hmm. That's great. Thank you, guys. Uh, speak soon. Yeah. yeah. One thing I would do with Milk Video is right away create 
a page on your website called Milk Video Alternative. And just if this is if this already is on Hacker News and has some traction, you can you can start ranking for, you know, Milk Video Alternative and have a page specifically built for this. If folks are looking for an alternative to it, or even like it'll just start showing up in searches for that. So that's that's one way you can start to ride the wave. If there's a wave kind of building, if there's momentum building, then yeah, it's not a bad idea. I, I, yeah, I, I follow some of well. your, I think you were tweeting about that, especially maybe about two months, three months ago, your, your experiences with SEO with alternative to. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's one I've of the, a lot from you, Justin. <laughs> yeah, that, that's one of the benefits of, of, that's one of the benefits of being in a category, right? Like categories, existing categories are, are awesome. When, when, when the customer has an established idea of what they're buying, what they want, and they're searching for it. So in this category you're in, that once that becomes like there's actually a label for it and people are searching for it, that's like that's what you want to be. That that's the ideal, right? Is having people searching for your category and then you're able to target those keywords and there's like some built-in traction at that point. At, at, at this stage it still feels like it's a little bit it's still not quite defined, right? Yeah, so we're alternately calling it content transformation, content, which isn't great yet, right? You're, you're, that's yeah. that's like an invented word. What you want is yeah. is the category to coalesce around words, and this is where having competition is great. Is when you can just watch and see what uh, words they use to describe the product in the category, and then use that. And strangely, it's almost always in like, if you view their source, it'll be like whatever they use for the description or sometimes in their title of, of their homepage, that's like the thing, you know, that's what people are searching for. So in podcast hosting, it's podcast hosting. <laughs> like that, that, those two keywords are what people are searching for. That's the category. And yeah, the disadvantage is there's more competition, but the advantage is just there's more fish in the sea looking for that kind of bait. Yes. Mm. Um, like, I, I'm all for this. I, like, I used to be, I've not exactly got a corporate background, but, but certainly the world that I've come from is quite close and learning more about the building in the open world, which, which certainly Justin, Riley, I'm not, I'm not so familiar with your, your side, but Justin, I'm, I'm very familiar with yours. Building in the open is really, really cool for me. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a, it's, it's, it's yeah. nice at the beginning. It's it's one of the again the advantages that you have when you're indie is that if you worked for SAP, I don't know, why I keep <laughs> I keep picking on SAP, but if you're working for SAP, yeah. you can't you can't do that. You can't just go to your boss and say, hey, let's let's just build this in public. Like let's just talk about everything. <laughs> They'd say no. Eventually, you know, once you're you've got significant traction, it doesn't make sense to build in public as much. But the, the nice thing about building in public is that you, you give these units of content that people can pay attention to, share, get interested in. And at the beginning, that's kind of what you want. You want people to be paying attention and following and maybe even to get invested in your story. And then when it comes time for them, you know, they need, you know, some like in your case, this video thing, then they'll think of you or at least know of you, right? 
Yeah, I, I mean, I've especially seen we, we we follow the AI sector, and I think is it Paul Yakubian who's doing Copy AI. The product's cool, but also because he's built so publicly, the the level of success that he's had because people talk about it, and I think it sort of goes back to that thing that you said about when somebody mentions you on Twitter, mm-hmm. the thrill and buzz that it gives you. Mm-hmm. I'm sure that for him seeing seeing that and the compounding interest that he's received from that as that's grown and grown and grown and i th- i think he's he's seen a really high level of success from building in public mm-hmm. uh, the downside to building in public is that this is going to go back to what riley and i were talking about ego but you know the the downside is then you're building up expectations for this thing like it, it works nicely when the story and the arc of your story kind of <laughs> works out. But if it doesn't work out, there can be a lot of pressure on you to keep it going or to succeed or to perform. And if you're not performing, it just feels shitty. You know, it can be really, really demotivating. So there, there's a dark side to it as well. But I think if you're okay with being completely open and you're still willing to cut your losses if this particular journey doesn't work out, I think uh, John Young Fook has done a good job of this. I'll, yeah, I'll post definitely. his stuff in here. But yeah, the, you have to be willing to cut your losses or <laughs> it can just feel like, oh man, like now I've got this pressure of I've got to perform. People expect something from me. And I've definitely felt that in terms of having any sort of audience, any sort of Twitter following can become a, a downside because you're just, uh, yeah, you just feel you don't want to fail in public. One of the main reasons that we considered YC wasn't the cash and wasn't necessarily the network, but it's, it's the accountability. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do wonder whether that external pressure from the public helps with accountability. Because yeah, I was gonna say that too. I think it, it's both the the thing that's good about it and the thing that's bad about it is the same thing. Is is uh, the good thing the, the thing that's good is you have that pressure, and the thing that's bad is you have that pressure. So there's <laughs> it's both it's, it's it's both in one. It really is. Yeah, because you've you've been building in public, Riley. You've got a lot of your revenue reports online. Well, and your story is great. Like that story of you getting fired, and like that's a perfect <laughs> narrative arc. It's the hero's journey. It's like. And I remember at the beginning, you know, you don't know how it's going to end up like this. Riley might crash yeah. and burn here. Like that's part of the excitement about it. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you can't, you can't control what happens to you, but you can kind of craft a narrative out of whatever your story is. You know, I had some crazy stuff happen. People have had a lot of crazier stuff happen, but I got fired from my job and went full time on the business and raised money and all that stuff. And uh, like you said, yeah, you don't know that it's going to, it's going to end up, you know, it, luckily for me, it did end up, you know, going well, but yeah, that's part of the scary part is you don't know what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Pros and cons. And again, some people like my friend, Ruben Gamez, he has no interest in building in public or sharing. Like he's just very much more private, much more just like heads down. He's just an operator. He's a executor. Like he just gets stuff done at a really high level and doesn't care about his public profile at all. So some of this will depend on who you are as a person. What's your real name again? Louis May. Yeah. I do have a question for you. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, okay. So the actual product hasn't been released yet. Um, we're building it. 
how do I get these 150 people pre-signed up yet into the actual product when it's built? How do I turn pre-signups into real users, mm. like onboarding? You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Because of like use surveys and all of that to find out their pain points and what they want and what they're looking for. Who are they? So I know a lot about these people and that. And yeah, but I just want to know how do I can I actually turn them into users? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, that's a good question. So the the big thing is you got to keep that list warm in the sense that you need to be sending out regular updates. So the worst thing you could do is just sit on that pre-sign up list and don't share anything until you launch. But that is what I've been doing. Yeah, sadly. Yeah. So anytime you make uh, Adam Wathen is a masterclass in this. So if you signed up for Tailwind UI, he just every once in a while would sit down and write an email saying, "Hey folks, thanks so much for being on the list. Just want to give you an update on our progress." And then he would share screenshots. He would share obstacles they'd run into. He would share ideas he was thinking about. You know, he would sometimes ask them a question like, hey, we're really curious on how people are going to be using this. So if you could just reply to this email and let us know, how do you plan on using this? That'd be great. So having an email that is an update and then has a a very clear action you want them to take at the end, like asking them a question and uh, telling them to reply to the email is uh, a really good way to just keep people interested. We've all signed up for pre-launch emails, and yeah. then six months later, you get an email from you know fidget.co, and you're like, I have no idea what this is or why I signed up for this. So if you've got 150 people signed up, that's already amazing. That's a that's a gift, yeah. and using that list to give them updates and to ask the right questions. So I would be asking, what do you plan on using this for? What prompted you to sign up for this? That's a very key one for pre-launch lists because sometimes I've I've, you know, validated, invalidated products this way where, you know, I had 200 people sign up on the list and then I said, <laughs> "Why did you sign up?" And they're like, "Oh, well, I was just like interested in what you were doing next." It's like, "Oh, like you're not actually interested in the product." And they're like, "Oh, no, I'm just like curious about what you're doing." So, getting those yeah. answers now when you're pre-launch is very helpful. And then mm. if they say, if they do seem interested, you just keep those conversations going as long as they'll keep replying to your emails. So, hey, what yeah. will this replace once I launch? So what are you using right now? And what will this replace when I launch? Cool. I'd, so I'd be doing stuff like that. I'm doing that a little bit already to get them to, for them to be allowed to get onto the actual waiting list. They have to fill out a type form form and it's like, what's your name? Like, what's the pain point? What's, what do you do? How, how often do you get this pain? What do you currently use to solve it? Good. So I do get a decent amount of feedback already from them, but should I keep like, like prodding for more? Or yeah. should I? Yeah, and if you've got a list like that, I would, do some, more? I would do some manual work. I'd go through each of those answers and I would force myself to write yeah. a personal email to each of them that follows up because yeah. the the first the first answers you're going to get there aren't deep enough. You really need to go deeper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? So if they're saying yeah. I'm already using, what what are they saying? What are the alternatives they're using? 
well like manual processes to be fair mate they're not using like a, a software to do it they're doing like a manual way of doing it of like solving the problem mm-hmm. or like or, yeah like what's they're what's a manual way of doing it? it like they're manually transcribing things so well the like pain point yeah is correcting the transcription mm. so that's a that's a pain point i'm trying to solve yeah is like minimizing errors in transcription and speeding up fixing them and so when i say to people how do you solve this already they say to me oh i manually do it and i manually reread <clears throat> the transcript over and over again to make sure it's right got it do you know what i mean yeah yeah so they're like saying i'm doing a manual process to fix it yeah but i'm trying to make it more like automated mm-hmm Perfect. So, I mean, yeah. one great follow-up question to that would be, what else have you tried or what else have you searched for? So they might say, well, I'm doing manual process. And you could say, okay, well, have you ever actually gone out and searched for a solution to this? Because that's important too, because mm. maybe they feel the pain, but it's not enough to make them actually do something about it. And a lot of, you know, a lot of products die because it's annoying to people, but not annoying enough but that they've done something about it. it. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, and that's totally. like, Thank you. The, the thing, like this is such an interesting part about human behavior is the thing that gets you to do things, like what actually motivates you to, <laughs> like I've got in, in this office right now, I've got this Elgato key light that I ordered three months ago. It's still in the box on the floor <laughs> from Amazon. So what is going to motivate yeah. me to actually use that thing, right? It's going to be maybe someone comments on my YouTube video and say says I look like shit, right? And I'll be like, okay, well, <laughs> fuck this. I'm Today's the day I'm going to get that stupid light going, right? Or someone saying yeah. that my face looks old and wrinkly and I'm like, oh, well, I'm going to smooth out those lines. <laughs> you know, like, like that, what causes people to actually move? And there's a lot of, products if you go on product hunt and you search back through the archives there's a lot of products that are mild that solve a mildly annoying thing but they there was not enough pull there for people to actually do something about it even you know like even evidence Mm. like i actually searched on google for an answer right so i would be digging into that Mm. asking what else they've you know, what else have you looked for? Have you ever done a Google search to solve this problem? Those are really great. They they might not always be able to (laughs) remember exactly what they, (laughs) what they typed in, but they'll be able to give you at least, you know, maybe this or those are fascinating keywords to, to go after. Hey Seth, how's it going? I appreciate that. Great, Justin. Uh, Thanks for putting this together. This is great. Go ahead. Oh yeah, no worries. I was just curious. I, I'm I'm working on uh, part time building my first uh, SaaS, and I know one of the things I've been focusing on is building a minimum viable product, something that's solving, you know, like honestly a pain point that's worth makes it worth that transaction. Mm-hmm. But I was just curious that when you started Transistor, and obviously you started with as bare bones a product as you could, now you're adding features. Now you're starting to add all the things you probably wished you could do on day one. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like, is that, are you seeing like a huge result in the expansion of your audience? Or, you know, yeah. like at what point is, yeah, is no. a minimum product enough? Yeah, I, I'd, yeah I, I'd say the, the it's, this is kind of what Riley and I were talking about before. The the 80 there should be 80% of the product should satisfy most people 
And so there is no perfect podcast hosting platform on the internet. There's, you know, some people like what Libsyn's doing, some people like what Transistor's doing, and there's, you know, slight variations that's, you know, some people go to Libsyn and they go, you know what, this does 80% of what I want really well, and that's all that matters. And I think that's what you want to hit on. And we've basically had that pretty much since we've launched. Like the, there's, there, I, the only feature we've added since that's really kind of given us more revenue, like, or increased the number of customers we had is private podcasting. So that was a big feature that we added that I think had some pretty significant traction. But the, the kiss of death for products is also like you launch and it's kind of like a middling success. And then you're like, okay, well, if I can just get this feature, you should be able to launch with 80% of what people want. And then there's enough momentum there that you're, you're getting some pretty clear signals already. There could be other things that are wrong, like maybe you don't you haven't found the distribution channels yet, but Yeah, I'm hesitant to hype up a launch where I'm not solving real problems or enough of a problem. Mm -hmm. uh, so it makes me feel a little bit like, you know, I don't want to get everybody amped up with the expectation of, you know, I'm gonna solve all their problems and then launch and be like, actually, we're only 10% there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think using your competitors as an ex as a what is the product? Can you can you kind of say what category it's in? Yeah, it's it's essentially in uh, media media scheduling. Okay, so like a comparative product might be like Buffer or something like that. It's more in the production industry. Okay. I work as part of my day job in IP production. Okay. And so there's a surprising lack of tools in that environment. I'm sure I could come up with competitors that are maybe sort of semi-competitive, but they're quite different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this kind of goes back to one of the way you f ways you figure that out is you ask people in your industry, how are you solving this problem? Have you ever looked for an alternative? What did you search for? And finding anything that is roughly comparable and just seeing you know, what's the bare minimum bar you have to reach in terms of product to compete right. in this in this category. And so, you know, with something like email newsletters, you need subscription forms, you need a way of composing emails, you need a subscriber list, and you need to be able to send emails, right? That's kind of roughly what you would need to meet the minimum bar. And then, you know, from there, you might add in automations or other things in the future. But I'm sure, like, for example, it's a little bit unfair of me to answer this actually because I'm in the I'm largely in the kind of creator prosumer space. But you know, I'm pretty sure that 80% of Mailchimp's customers just use a subscription form, email list, uh, basic email template, and they send. You know, like that's their bread and butter. And so, if you want to compete with Mailchimp, like uh, my fresh. Uh, like Josh Anderton is doing with Upscribe, you know, he needs subscription forms. He needs a way of sending emails. That's kind of, that's kind of what you need, right? So that's the bare minimum to even get looked at. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I've taken a lot of my, uh, a lot of my initial questioning from the mom test. Yeah, that's such a great um, book. Like, it's a terrible title, but <laughs> yeah, and the, that book just to simply outline good questions to ask and how to ask them is is very good. 
Yeah, I feel really confident in the product. I've done a lot of uh, a lot of interviews in my space about it and worked in the industry long enough to feel like I'm confident in putting the time in. I think just part of where, you know, being this is my first, I, I've, I've built plenty of software internally and for, you know, companies that I've been a part mm-hmm. of. So I, I'm, I'm used to that part of the loop, but going out on my own and creating an individual piece of software that meets a need for an audience as a SaaS is a little new. So just crossing that barrier of understanding, like, you know, how much is enough for an initial launch and then what that, you know, iterative betterment of the product should look like over time. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And part of the answer is you've just got to uh, connect with people. You've got to keep talking to people whenever you can. Look at what they're using already. Look at, you know, what, how are they solving this problem? And then I think you can figure out that 80% that most people want. And, and honestly, like, <laughs> it's like base camp. You know, like sure they've they've launched new versions and all that. The the bones of that product and what keeps people coming back has basically been there since version one. The eighty percent that people are buying and that people are motivated to buy has been there from day one. So I'm not saying that that's like all you can do. Like clearly they had to move on from Basecamp Classic to where they are now. But that that eighty percent rule of like this eighty percent of this product is what most people want. I think is a good rule of thumb great thank you yeah hey freak hey justin how are you doing good i was i was coming on stage when there was like a question here where i wanted to give some some thoughts oh yeah like if if you ever launched something that was in a category that that was already a little bit mainstream or where there are already a lot of competitors yeah let's talk about that yeah i i've launched something like that and i think on the surface it's 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 really boring because it's 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 a product that has been done like hundreds of times before and it's like uptime monitoring mm-hmm. so i've built like my own uptime monitoring solution and yeah, of course, there are like literally hundreds of other products that that already do the same. But I don't think that in the case uh, of like uptime monitoring, where the market is so big that it 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 doesn't really matter if there are a lot of competitors, mm-hmm. because if you if you already can gain like yeah a percentage, yeah, then I guess you're already rich if you get a percentage. If you have like a small cut of that pie. That's already good, and people are just searching for a piece of software that that, that that like matches their their kind of character. That has like a certain warmth. That has like certain that sets certain priorities. Yep, and they will choose that over other products, even though they they do just the same. Yeah, and with the product that I created, Odir, yeah, we managed to yeah to get a little piece of that audience, even though there are already other products in that category yeah yeah totally yeah i i agree completely that it's going to depend on the category it's going to depend how big and wide that river is and how fast the water is flowing right so Mm -hmm. the it's like yeah if the river is big and wide you might be able to fit a lot of boats on it but if it's moving pretty slow then everyone's going to be moving pretty slow if the river's big and wide and it's moving fast well you have a lot uh better chance of kind of moving downstream where you want to go. So the, there's definitely factors to consider. Like, of course, the to-do list app market is massive, but there's a lot of competition. And, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure how many people are, you know, waking up every day and buying 
new new to-do apps, but maybe the market is still has tons of momentum. <laughs> like so there, there's some things that are just so yeah. big that you can, if you do it and you do it differently enough or you do it uh, well enough or you have a unique take on it, then you can still do well. And, you know, like coffee shops in most markets in the world, there's a lot of coffee shops, but there's a lot of bad coffee shops. And if you are mm -hmm. really good at coffee and you can offer uh, a market something that, they're, you know, different, maybe it's the vibe of the place or whatever, you can still carve out a pretty good living for yourself in coffee. And so if that's true, I think there's a lot of categories like that. The, the reverse problem is worse, which is the reverse problem is you choose this tiny little sector that doesn't have really any interest. And that, that, can, be, that can be dangerous too. So, so if we stick with the river metaphor, you know, a, a tiny stream that's slow moving, not so good. But a, a small niche, like a relatively constrained niche can still be good. You think about kayaking down like a really narrow river that's just moving super fast. That can be, you know, that can be fun too. But the, the key part is that it can't be slow. <laughs> and some product categories just do not have the momentum. They don't have the energy in the market that will bring customers, especially for SaaS. That's, that's the Ian Landsman quote, you know, software is all about volume. And I actually, it'd be interesting, anyone else here on stage, Riley or whatever, but, you know, like for Transistor, we need hundreds of trials a month to make our business work. And so every month we need at least, I don't know what it is now, 500 to 600 people to be lining up outside our shop wanting to buy podcast hosting. So it's volume. We need a, vol a certain volume of trials every month. I'm guessing for ConvertKit, they probably have thousands and thousands of trials, right? You need a certain amount of volume to make SaaS work. Yeah, definitely. Like with with ours, it's a little different because we uh, we don't have a free trial. We're one of those businesses where like it costs us money because we're going out and getting a server for them. So I don't, I didn't, I was always weary. Like I didn't want to give away a free trial and then if we were losing money or something. So I just kept it really easy and just made it pay up front. And so, but yeah, we still need a lot of interested people that are going to take the next step. And each month, you know, we're growing at, you know, about 60 customers, between like 60 and 100 new customers per month. Mm -hmm. But uh, yeah, it's, it's, and with, with, if you look at Ubiquity's stock price, because they're a publicly traded company and our system is built on top of a platform that's, you know, part of a market that's growing. You can see their stock price has gone up and up and up in the last three years. And so it's kind of representation of the market has grown and grown since I started this. So when I started this, it might've been a much smaller market, but now it's a much bigger market. So mm -hmm. it might've been a really small niche if uh, it had stayed at the level it was at when I started it, but because it's grown and grown, you know, we've benefited from the rise of the platform that we're built, we're attached to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If we stick with my river metaphor, Riley, you started and it was, a, it was kind of slow going, but there was some good momentum and then the river opened up and got a lot faster. Yeah. Yeah, I would say so. But I mean, that's a funny thing too, is like, you just don't know how, how big or how small a market is until you're in it. So you just don't know and you just got to go with how it feels. But I would never have guessed that it would be as big of a market as it is. Mm -hmm. And I'm still surprised that every month that we just keep growing, growing. I'm like, we're gonna, we gotta run out of customers at some point. We're gonna have to pivot. We're gonna have to create new products. Yeah. And I keep waiting for that. And then I keep just sitting on my hands because I'm like, I don't wanna get distracted creating new products. 
because, you know, I have backup plans. You know, what if this market runs out and there's just no more customers and we've, we've, we own the whole market? Because like I said, we have no competitors. There's, mm-hmm. there's no number two to us. There's a, there's a dozen clones of from any hackers and, and stuff, but there's nothing. There's no number two. And so, yeah, it's just like, hey, when is this going <laughs> to? And so I keep thinking like we need to create new products and go after a bigger market. But I, I've been resisting that urge because it just keeps growing and growing. And I don't want to get distracted with, with other stuff, just kind of like the feature conversation you know every time you add a feature that's one more thing that you have to support forever and ever and uh, the the less you do that the better yeah totally yeah that's and that kind of never goes away every day i wake up and go okay well this is probably all gonna end today <laughs> <laughs> yeah the anxiety of being a business owner yeah it's always always there yeah <laughs> yeah do you do you guys uh, feel any more pressure now that I mean you have a large audience and so you're you're kind of at this point where you've la- launched a product and all eyes are on you so like you're kind of a mentor and also a project leader does that increase the stress you feel from having to live up to this expectation you've set It's easier for me now because I think for a long time I I felt like I had to live up to an expectation but now I feel like I've kind of done it and so even if it all crashed and burned, burned, I will have known that I did it. It's kind of like, I don't know, like if someone said, well, you'll never write a book. And then it's like, okay, well, all I have to do is go show them that I can write a book and then it's done. So I, I don't feel as much pressure on that now. And now it's just so much easier when you have customers. It's just so much e- like whenever you get distracted, you just go back to customers and go, okay, what do they really need? Like what what's going to make a difference for them. So it helps focus your attention. You don't have to worry about the, you know, any other, anything else. You can just focus on what matters. Yeah. I was going to say this is pretty much the same thing. Like I don't feel, you know, worried about my public image or something. I don't know. I just don't, I don't worry about that stuff. And I think, you know, I think there's more pressure now that it is uh, more people are watching, but that's a nice thing too. In the beginning is, is if you have a failure, nobody really sees it. And then now once a lot of people are watching, if you have a failure, a lot of people see it, but it's, it's not a big deal. I feel like, you know, every, we're all learning and the communities I think would be very supportive if somebody had a failed business and they started a new business, as long as it just depends how you handle it, of course. But, um, but assuming you handle everything, you know, businesses don't always work out and that's just life. Mm-hmm. Right. Hopefully, and hopefully it helps, <laughs> it helps tame the ego a bit because, you know, if, yeah, I, I think if, if someone seemed really stuck up and, you know, you just want those people to fail. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I, I can, yeah, don't be that person. Yeah, so there's the people are. Yeah, you want to be the person people are rooting for is what you're saying is, yeah. is if you're, if you're someone that people want to see win, then uh, if you fail, people aren't going to mock you for yeah, it. You know? Yeah, exactly. By the way, I just looked at ConvertKit's numbers. They So in the past 30 days, they've had, let's see this, 6,700 new subscriptions <laughs> in, in the last 30 days. Wow. So that's 1,000 reactivations. That's, that's impressive. Wow. Is that on Barometrics? Yeah, I, yeah, I, uh, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, convertkit.com, barometrics.com. Yeah, I'll, I'll put it in the, cool. the show notes here. All right. Anything else folks wanted to talk about? I have one more question here that I could talk about. But anything else, folks? And if you're down in the audience and you want to try this out, just give me just give me one of these. Yeah, there you go, Nathan. How's it going, Nathan? Hey there. 
Good to good to talk to you. How you doing? Are you are you are you are you in the new job? <laughs> uh, I am. Yeah. So I'm fully at Podsite. It's been there since January now. I'm in Dallas though, so I've been dealing with oh whole man, lot of chaos yeah. Last week. You got electricity, but yeah, I'm I'm all I'm all back up and up and running. Uh, everything's fine. Wow. Wow. Yeah. That that we have one of one of our contractors is in Houston, and uh, she posted a screenshot. I was like, I'm in British Columbia, Canada, and she had more snow in her backyard <laughs> yeah. than I did. Yeah. When you're talking about the like number of trials, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the, that you need, mm-hmm. you know. So you're either talking about you need that to combat churn and like have an even keel and, you know, a stable business mm-hmm. or you need it to hit like growth targets. Yeah. And, you know, obviously you got to like grow the business, you know, you got to keep growing the business at some point, but like I think the river metaphor works, you know, when you're talking about like the momentum that's already in the market. But maybe there's something like bicycling uphill when it, you know, to deal talk about like mm-hmm. the churn aspect of it as well. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, you you want to always be outrunning churn, and and you just it's just like anything. Like I, I just keep thinking of coffee shops just because everyone knows a coffee shop. But you know, like a coffee shop needs a certain amount of regulars. And they probably lose a few regulars every so often. People move away. People buy fancy coffee machines. You know, people uh, have to save money. And so coffee shops need a regular influx of new customers. And so there needs to be enough interest in that category that they're going to be able to continue to acquire new customers to replace the old ones. And the danger, of course, like I, oh, this really became true for me when I worked for an agency. Just give me uh, a hundred if you've worked for an agency. The like agency work woke me up because I'm in these meetings and all of a sudden the salesperson is saying, well, we were hoping we were going to close three deals and they all fell apart. And so now people are getting fired. It's like, what? Like that the the agency model is so fragile you know it works especially in web development when there's you know a lot of startups getting funding or you have a lot of enterprise clients that are just building stuff out but man when when the economy goes south or it 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 just seems a lot more sensitive and fragile than something like coffee right like even in bad times people are like I still want that drug, you know, I still want the caffeine or I still want that feeling of going to a coffee shop and having a break. So, and and we saw this with alcohol sales during the pandemic as well, right? So there has to be a baseline of demand and um, and a baseline of people in software who are trying you out. And, you know, if, if you think about a funnel, you know, there's got to be a certain amount of interest, the total addressable market. Like these are all the people in the world that are interested in this product at a given time. And then you go down the funnel. It's like, how many of those people can I even get their attention? And then you go down the funnel. How many of those people, you know, can I actually get them to sign up for a trial? And then how many people can I convert to a paying customer? And so there has to be enough momentum there to keep your business going, right? It's like gasoline. Every once in a while, you're going to have to fill up your engine, fill up your gas tank, sorry, with new gas. And you need that runway to actually launch, right? You need, you need enough gasoline to get off the runway. Yeah. Um, yeah. And actually, you know, actually launch. But in like Transistor's case, like you and John could stop working on the product mm-hmm. and, you know, put your energy into, you know, your, your next thing. You know, you could, 
you could build the hay to your base camp. Yeah. And the SAS revenue, you know, churn would eventually eat it away. But mm -hmm. you'd have, you know, that like already launched product, you know, can give you that runway to, you know, fund the next thing. Yeah, yeah. If, yeah, I mean, that, that's always the question is, can people successfully do the next thing? And, you know, I, I don't know that yet because I haven't tried it myself. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. Like with Podlink, you know, that was a side project that, you know, turned into something like a lot bigger. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now I no longer, you know, what used to be side side project block of time, you know, is free for me to try something else. I'm like, can I do something that was as successful as that? Yeah. I don't know. Like, so I, you know, I, I'm definitely like sitting with that same like sort of doubt right now of like, well, could I launch something else that, you know, I'm just as proud of? Yeah, I think you could. I like for me, the everything on the path to transistor was just like, in some ways, actually, let me like rewind. The, the big turning point for me was having the roof blown off of what I thought was possible. So, you know, if you go way back, it's like I grew up in this little farm town, Stony Plain, Alberta with 5,000 people. And the only people that I know that are successful, like successful, quote unquote, are real estate agents and dairy farmers, right? And so it's like, what, what business am I going to start there? So I started a skateboard and snowboard shop. It's like retail, like that's what people do. But then... You know, I got a, a job at a software company in 2008 and then it was like my eyes got opened like, oh, wow, like you can you can sell bits on the Internet on a recurring basis and people will pay for it. And that can get to, you know, that company was probably, I don't know, a million dollar a year company or something. And it was enough that I went, oh, that's interesting. And then I read 37 Signals book rework and I was like, oh, wow, like these people are doing it too at this scale. And then, honestly, getting to know Taylor Otwell and Adam Wathen, just them opening up their bank account and saying, well, this is kind of what we do and this is what our products do. It, it showed me, like, sure, I might never get to that level, but it showed me wh where what was possible. Like, the ceiling is so much higher. And for me personally, just seeing, like, okay, that's what momentum in a market looks like. That's what it looks like to have the pull of a market. And it might not be easy to get there, but at least you know what you're looking for. You know the feeling you're looking for. And it's worth, like, it's for me anyway, you, I, this might not apply to everybody, but for me, when I heard Taylor Otwell say, well, you know, I built this thing forever for free, and then I saw some other people making money on it, and then I decided to build Forge because I needed it, and then I announced it on stage, and then 30 days later, I had whatever it was, 20 or 30 grand in MRR. I was like, oh wow, like that is a that is an example of what the momentum feels like. That's an example of what's possible. And Transistor didn't have that same kind of success right away, but it 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 made me want to search for something like that, something that felt like that. It was like he just came back from a kayaking trip and he was like you know, I'd just been kayaking on lakes this whole time and he did a whitewater kayaking trip and he's like, dude, like I got in the water and it's just like, you just go so fast. It was unbelievable. It made me search out that same kind of momentum for myself or something that that at least felt similar. So I think if people seek it, there's definitely a greater chance that they will find it. And there's, 
yeah. there's certainly mistakes you can make along the way, which is starting too many things that are just middling successes or getting getting satisfied. Like I could have stayed in the online course business and just kept trying to grind it out in that. And I'm working like way less now. <laughs> it's just like the, the difference between that and where I'm at now is night and day. I was just going to say Taylor's story is super inspiring to you and kind of the same, like what I was going to say, like what you were saying was that it really inspired you because you saw what was possible and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was lucky to come across Tyler Tringus's story. I didn't know about indie hackers or I didn't know about you. I didn't know about anybody before I started Hostify. Mm -hmm. And um, I was really just solely inspired by reading Tyler's story with Stormapper. And it just kind of made me feel like it was possible, something achievable that I could do because he's a fairly humble guy. And so like, you know, reading his book, reading his ebook and stuff, he was just saying how like he wasn't the best programmer mm -hmm. and he built it by himself and launched it after just a couple of days of like programming it. And so, yeah, that's kind of how I was inspired too. But like, I like what you said that if you're looking for it, you're more likely to get there. It doesn't mean you're going to get there, but <laughs> it's the feeling you're looking for and the excitement of, you know, the, the potential. It's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, the feeling, the energy. I'm just going to put up Tyler. Sorry, Tyler Trinkus' story here too. Micro Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Taylor's story, man. That, that guy's that guy's amazing. I love what he's done with, with the Laravel and Forge and all the products he's made. It's, that's a huge success story too that uh, I don't think as many people know about in uh, the outside of the Laravel world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that, again, it doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean that it's going to happen for everybody. Clearly, that's that can't be true but knowing what's possible and knowing how people got there is i think very helpful and honestly i think it's why adam wadden has been so so successful is he from the beginning had this example of taylor that he could emulate and, yeah. and he, he knew what the feeling could look like or feel like right like oh wow like this is what it feels like for taylor and then Adam tries a few things and then he hits something that feels like that. And it's like, oh, wow. Like, okay, this is what it feels like. And then you know that there's another level above that. Adam's also really good friends with Wes Boss. So it's not, it's not surprising that Adam first had some success with courses and eBooks and then had some success with an open source CSS framework, right? Like it, that it, it trends because of the people who are in his life that he could see oh, this is what they're doing. This is what it feels like. This is what momentum looks like. That's cool. Yeah. And for me, it's very much following in the footsteps of like trying to do exactly what Tyler did, like in a different way, you know, so yeah, I could definitely see that. Here, let's do one more question and then we're going to end this today. By the way, I've recorded this, so I, I don't know if I, I might get in trouble if I publish it because I don't have everyone's permission. But Riley, are you okay if I publish this somewhere? Sure, yeah, it gets my stamp of approval. <laughs> uh, Lewis and Seth, are you okay with that? Or Louis, sorry? Good okay. Yeah. yeah, good to go. Perfect. I might have to edit it down for, for clarity, but yeah, let's do, Rich asked a question on Twitter, so let's, let me just put it up here. Here we go. So I get this question a lot. If you could have one problem solved for you instantly, what would it be? And this is an interesting question to answer because it's so difficult to answer in a way that would be helpful because most of the pain I have, I'm not going to be able to recall it right away. It's most of it is just evidence by the at the evidence is in my actions. 
And so I can tell you, I think a better question actually is what's the last pain point you paid to solve? So for us, it was all of the podcast hosting companies were getting these denial of service attacks. And one of our competitors reached out and said, you're next, like he's attacking everybody. And so we had to pay for some additional stuff to basically prepare ourselves for the this attack that we, that we've been waiting for. So that's the last thing Jeez. we paid to we paid to solve. Anyone else have something that they just recently paid to solve that they can think of? Uh, today I did a final will and testament, mm-hmm. and it was just it was really cool. There's like an application. It was like 400 bucks, and I just clicked through and put in all the questions that you know I just wanted to have something you know, kind of a continuation plan for my business is what I've been working on and, and, you know, setting up beneficiaries and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But I was like, wow, somebody's making good money on this. By the way, that's a great example of a, a product that always has, I think, latent demand, meaning I think about my will all the time, like I need to update it. And if someone emailed me and had built up a reputation and said, hey, I'm doing wills specifically for founders in Canada. This is the cost. Here's the questionnaire. I'll have it back to you in, you know, two weeks. That would be a very easy sell for me because there's it takes so much work to go, okay, I gotta like get up the momentum to call my lawyer and then figure some shit out. And so there there are some products like that that have latent demand that are just like waiting (laughs) for someone to come along with not shady but someone who has a reasonable reputation to just solve the problem, right? Yeah, it's a good one. Anyone else have one? Louis, Seth, Nathan, anything you can think of that something that you paid to solve? I just subscribed to Savvy Cow last week and I've always like done these services for like a month and be like, I don't really schedule enough things to make that worth Mm. it. But now I'm doing more and more like demos of a product with people. And I'm like, okay, I don't really want to be doing a song and dance in five emails. And I've known about these solutions for forever. Like now it's time to actually like cough up the money because I'm like recognizing the value of my time to like have a solution like that. That's such a, what you know what that's a great example of is it's another example of latent demand, but there are certain founders that you just want a reason to support them, right? Oh, absolutely. Like, so Derek yeah. Reimer um. is like just out there and it's like, man, like as soon as I get a chance, as soon as my boss asks for recommendations for calendar services, Savvy Cal, I'm gonna say Savvy Cal because, you know, it was like in the old days when you wanted to support your favorite podcaster and you just needed a reason to use their Squarespace code or their yeah. their hover code, you know? It's like, yes, finally, I have a chance to support these people. It's it's pretty underrated. And I, I'm like really waiting to support Arrows.2. Oh, what's that? I'm like waiting for the opportunity for them to like, for, you know, for like it, there to be enough of a pain point in like the pod sites business that I can recommend this product. And I'm like, this is perfect. I see that there's a match here. I'm like, I need them to launch their new website or whatever. So like I'm listening to their podcast week after the week and they're like, oh, we're almost ready to do our new website, but we're too busy. All these demos. I'm like, well, there's some demos I'm like not willing to like pull the trigger on until, mm-hmm. you know, I can package it up, you know, in a better way for, you know, the stakeholders at my company. Yeah. So it's one of those things where sometimes like, the, you know, like they don't, you know, they don't know who I am. Like I've, I've got some demand for their product though, just cause I've been following them for years and I've like built up, you know, the trust that 
they're solving this problem well. Yeah, yeah, that's a great example. So obviously, Benedict and Daniel are doing something that uh, makes you want to support them. Yeah, I just answer your earlier question. I just recently paid for something which was a little painful because it's something I could fully do myself. I just don't have time to. Mm. Yeah, and that is, I, I met Dan on Mega Maker and he's working on Nodewood, which is, I guess, a template engine for, for SaaS products. Okay, cool. Using Vue.js. And so that's my preferred stack is, is Vue.js and uh, JavaScript. And so just just uh, kind of biting the bullet and paying for that and letting him worry about how a lot of those pieces come together and allowing me to focus on more of the core business logic was really helpful. Yeah, yeah, those are great products too. And again, there's a little bit of latent demand sometimes, which is there are products like that that you're like, ah, you know, I don't quite need that yet. And it just kind of simmers in the background until the the pressure the pain the the like the the need just grows and grows and grows until there's this breakthrough moment and you're like okay fuck it this is the day i'm going to go out and solve this problem and i'm going to buy this product that i've always wanted to right for me it's about momentum you know it's just like when i find myself working on all of the small nuts and bolts it just really slows that sense of progress, especially as an individual. You know, I'm working on all the aspects of everything by myself. And so it's really easy sometimes to fall isolated and feel like just your progress is molasses. And two things that really helped with that. One is knowing when to reach out and buy, you know, pay for, for pieces of that puzzle that I can always come back and do myself. But having just that, that launch board to start off with gives me that, helps give me like that extra boost that I need to get through the other pieces. Mm -hmm. And then the second was actually community, you know, especially with the pandemic, but before I do a lot of work from home. And so finding your podcast and just the community in general has helped me not feel like alone in my endeavors, especially when I'm hitting the wall on some product feature that I'm like, I must be the only person ever to experience this. Mm -hmm. And then I'll hop onto a podcast and I'm like, oh, okay, you know, Justin has doubts too. And there are days when we kind of question the direction we're going in. And it, Sometimes it's just enough to know that that's par for the Yeah, course. totally. Totally. That's what's great about, I mean, it's kind of what's great about the internet, but audio and, and podcasting in particular, I think I have a tweet that says it's, it's open sourcing the, the human experience. It's like revealing these things that we usually keep private, our, our inner code that we usually keep private. And there's something so cathartic to have somebody articulate a thought, a feeling, you know, some sort of inadequacy that was only you thought was only in you or you didn't know was only not just in you and having someone else express it is very cathartic and like, oh, okay, like I'm not the only one. This is normal. Yeah, that that's been huge for me too. Sweet. Well, this is great. I think this may be one of the biggest jam.systems rooms ever done. So, that that was kind of fun to have people show up. Yeah, thanks for showing up, everybody. I'll probably try to do an... I, I, I kind of like the fact that this is not just limited to iPhone people and people can join on desktop and stuff. So yeah, just watch my Twitter. I'll, I'll try to edit this at some point and put it up and then we'll have a record of what we talked about. So it's not, <laughs> it's not all wasted. Maybe someone else can get some value from it. So yeah, this is fun. Thanks for showing up, everybody. Thanks, Justin. Yeah, it's been fun. Yeah. Yeah, Good thank you. Goodbye. Bye.